Jesus said, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck, take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the Gospel of the Lord. The scripture I'm going to be preaching on for this evening is from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And it reads as follows. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to that place, and saw him passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have called us to obey your law by loving you and our neighbors. We admit that we often fail in this. We sin against you and against our neighbors. As we hear your word today, grant us forgiveness through faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and strengthen us to do your will all the more. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know the hope to which you have called us, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I just read for you the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells the story of a man who was robbed on the road, a priest and a Levite, two men who, have been, who would have been considered holy by uh, the Jewish people at the time, refused to help him. But a Samaritan, a man who would have been hated by many Jews at the time, helped the man and provided for his care. It's really a morality parable in which Jesus teaches us 
how to love and care for our neighbors. But the reason Jesus told this story in the first place was that an expert in the law came to him and wanted to know something. He wanted to know what the key was to eternal life. Now, if somebody asked us that question, what is the key to eternal life, how would we answer? Well, if we are good Lutherans, we would probably say something like this. We would say, well, eternal life comes through justification by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus accomplished everything necessary for our salvation in his death and resurrection. We do not earn eternal life in our actions. Rather, we passively receive this gift through trusting in what Jesus has done for us. That's a solid theological answer, but that is not how Jesus responds to this man. Jesus responds instead by telling a story about loving our neighbors. Jesus responds this way because of the way this expert in the law asked his question. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This man was an expert in the law. He likely had the opinion that he had pretty much kept God's law his whole life. He probably ate all the right foods that Jewish men were supposed to eat, wore the right clothes, observed the right religious ceremonies. And when Jesus asked him to summarize the law, he gave the right answer. He said the law can be summarized into two commandments. First, love God, and second, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, well, it seems like you know the law if you... Uh, just do that, then you will live. Doesn't sound so easy, however. Jesus was really confronting this man with God's law, with really the severity of God's law, even though the man at the time did not realize it fully. Imagine if Jesus came to us and told us, just love God with all your heart and soul and strength and mind and love your neighbor as yourself, and then you will inherit eternal life. I don't know about you, but if I heard something like that, I think I would immediately think of all of the times that I failed to do exactly that. Really, not a moment in this life goes by where I can't say that I didn't fail to love God as perfectly as I should. And I can think of many many times when I did not love or serve my neighbor as I should. And so if this is the key to eternal life, then to me it seems like there is no possible way that I could ever receive it. I expect that was the kind of response Jesus wanted from this man. Jesus wanted to convict him that he was in fact a sinner, that he might be humbled knowing his sin and seek repentance and forgiveness. That's the appropriate response to be being confronted with God's law. When we hear God's law, there are really only three responses that we can have to it. We can, one, be convicted in our sin and repent, as we should. Secondly, I suppose we could be indifferent to what God, God wants us to do in his law and just ignore it and go about our lives. But the man who came to Jesus responded in a third way. He had this response. It says that he tried to justify himself. 
So what does that mean? What does it mean to want to justify yourself? Well, it really means one of two things. Either we are so puffed up with pride that we think that we actually have fulfilled the law of God. Or, secondly, you have to change or twist God's law, tweak it a little bit to make fulfilling it seem much more manageable, much easier, much more doable. This is what the expert in the law tried to do when he was talking with Jesus after Jesus told him that he was correct in saying that the law says to love God and love your neighbor. Then man asked a follow-up question. He asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? I don't think he asked that question because he was concerned with how he could serve people better. No, he asked because he thought that if he could narrow down somehow the definition of what a neighbor was, then he could make fulfilling God's law sound easier, sound more manageable, sound more doable. And so if we hear that phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, and for this man perhaps, if the neighbors only meant Jewish neighbors in good standing, then perhaps fulfilling the law would seem easier. Or, if we really narrow down the definition of neighbor, if neighbor is only the people who reside next to us, to the left and to the right, then loving our neighbor might sound even easier. Well, I suppose it depends what kind of neighbors you have. <laughs> or maybe if neighbor is only meant to, uh, meant to be referring to friends or close associates of ours, then we could say that, well, maybe I've loved them pretty well. Maybe I've fulfilled the law. Sometimes without thinking it, we are tempted to do this all the time. We're tempted to try to make God's law sound easier so that we can also justify ourselves. Really, we lie to ourselves and act like we really have kept God's law much better than we have. We can say that we have loved our neighbors as ourselves if neighbors only means those who we think really deserve our love. Or if neighbors means those who have treated us well, loving them is a lot easier. Maybe we've done a pretty good job in our life of loving and serving our neighbors, but even if that is the case, the moment that we act as if we have done this perfectly, or if we act like just doing the bare minimum to fulfill God's law, somehow it earns us this eternal life, that is when that we know that we have actually Failed. We have again tried to justify ourselves. We've really failed to lived up, live up to God's command to love him and love our neighbors as perfectly as we should. Jesus in the parable that he tells teaches us about sin, but he teaches us about a kind of sin that maybe we don't always think about. He teaches us about the sin of omission. There are all kinds of sins that we can think of that are sins of commission, that is, things that we do that are wrong or evil, when we hurt others, when we steal from others, when we commit adultery, when we take the Lord's name in vain. These are all actions that we commit, things that we do that are wrong and sinful. But in the parable, Jesus uses the actions, or rather the inaction, of this priest and this Levite to teach us about the sin of omission. Sins of omission are the times when we 
should have done good, but we chose not to. The priest and the Levite in the story should have helped the injured man, but they refused. Maybe they thought they were too busy. Maybe they didn't want to become ceremonially unclean. These people were workers in the temple, and if this man was in fact dead and they touched his dead body, then they could not enter the temple without cleansing themselves through various rituals. Maybe they just didn't want to be dirtied by the man's blood on their hands and on their clothes. Whatever the case was, they sinned, not because they did evil, but because they refused to do good. Now, we think, if we think of God's law in that way, how hard is it to say that we have kept it when it's not just our bad actions that count against us, but also our lack of good actions? Even if we did good to everyone that we could have helped, we really, if we think hard enough about it, could have done more. You see, if we want to justify ourselves before God, then we have to realize that there was always a way we could have done better, we could have done more, we could have uh, done more in the sight of God. So far, we've only been talking about the part of the law that tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, we haven't even gone into all of the ways that we failed, failed to perfectly love God with all of our heart and soul and strength and mind. And if we add sins of omission to that part of God's law, how much have we failed all the more? But Jesus, he had a strategy when he was responding to this man. He doesn't really address the self-justifying question that this uh, expert in the law was asking. The man asked, who is my neighbor? In the parable, Jesus instead asks the man a question in return. Jesus does this a lot. He likes to respond to questions with other questions. Jesus asks the man, so who was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? In other words, Jesus is saying that the question is not, well, who is my neighbor? Who is it I'm supposed to do good to? Rather, the question is, am I truly being a neighbor to all of those that God has put into my path? If we can narrow down what it means for others to be our neighbors, then we can say, well, maybe I'm only responsible for caring for some kinds of people. And if we do that, then justifying ourselves is easier. But if it's as Jesus says that it's my responsibility to be a good neighbor to others, whoever they might be, then it's easy to see all the ways that I have failed. Jesus, however, does address the man's question about what must he do to enter eternal life. Just love God perfectly and selflessly love your neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. Easy enough? No? No. Jesus shows us how much we truly do fall short of this calling. But Jesus needs to convict us, to show us our sin, before we can accept that he truly is the only one through whom we can inherit eternal life. Just like in the story, Jesus is truly our good Samaritan in all situations. Jesus perfectly loved and obeyed his heavenly Father in all things, 
And Jesus perfectly loved and served his neighbors while he was here on earth. And he continues to do that for us today. In the parable, the good Samaritan rescued the beaten man and paid for his continuing care. But Jesus, in his care for us, does even more than what that good man did in the story. Jesus was willing to be the one who was beaten and stripped. Jesus stood in the place of sinners like me, sinners like us, who deserve to be nailed to a cross rather than he. On the cross, Jesus shed his blood to pay for all the evil that we have done and even pay for the times when we failed to do what was right. Jesus was really the ultimate neighbor to us when he died to pay for our healing and our salvation and our eternal life and our eternal care. Jesus was the only one who can do what this man asked to earn eternal life, not only for himself, but for all of his neighbors. And so in Jesus' resurrection, he did inherit eternal life, and so not just so he could live forever at the right hand of God, but that we too might be included in his inheritance through faith in him. And so when the expert in the law came to Jesus, he was not ready to hear the good news of the gospel. He first needed to know that he was a sinner. He needed to know that he did need forgiveness. He needed to be first confronted with the severity of God's law. And so if we, like this man, try to justify ourselves and act like we have fulfilled God's law perfectly, as scripture says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But when we do come to Jesus, rather than excusing our sins, we do, again, as scripture says, we confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so rather than trying to justify ourselves, we trust that Jesus alone can justify us. And so now, forgiven in Christ, knowing that God no longer looks at our sins, knowing that he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, we can now see God's law in a different way. Throughout my message, I've been talking about how much God's law shows that we have failed to do it. But knowing that Christ has forgiven our sins, we can now see God's law not as a burden, not something convicting us always, not something always weighing us down, but now we can see it as a joy and an opportunity to do the will of God in our lives. We were like that man who was beaten and dead by the road, dead in trespasses and sins. But Jesus has made us alive again. So now when we hear the words that Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise, we can love our neighbors as ourselves, and we do it in this way. We love as Jesus has first loved us. Amen.